This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to a very special transatlantic edition of the Blood Red podcast with myself, Sean Bradbury and Connor Dunn back in Echo HQ. And down the line, all the way from the USA, is Ian Doyle. Uh, Ian, well, there he is. You can you can hear him. Hello there. Hello, <laughs> Doyle. We'll start with you. We'll go. We'll go straight to you uh, over in the states. Give us a sense then of, of what the atmosphere has been like so far. You've been to the US before, following the Reds. But how big a sense of of how big the Reds are uh, have you got this time? Has it all gone up a notch? Um, well, I'll tell you what. Around the games and around the open training sessions, there's been a lot of interest. I mean, the interesting thing is that the actual attendances perhaps haven't been what. A lot of people might have expected back home, but part of the reason for that is because the game isn't part of this you know, International Champions Cup, which is also going on at the moment around the States. Mm. But, so what it basically means is that the people who've been turning up are the absolute hardcore, the ones who are des- desperate to, to see them, and they're the ones that have been at those open training sessions, at the games. I mean, there was there was 40,000 at the at the game on Friday at, at Notre Dame, as they say over here. Uh, against Borussia Dortmund, but the, the, that that stadium is like seventy thousand capacity. So at times it looked like there wasn't a lot of people, there, but it was still forty thousand people turning out for a friendly. You wouldn't normally get that in, in you know, if this game was played in England, for no. example. Uh, and then uh, Fenway Park was more or less full for the game on uh, on Sunday, which I think we have to state just in Boston just how hot it actually was. <laughs> I mean, speaking to some people who were who were at the. Uh, one of the uncovered it. They were saying they could barely see the match, and it was just an absolute nightmare. You know, it was a, it was an ordeal just to get through it. Not not because of what was going on on the pitch, but but the weather itself. I mean, it was the hottest day since 1991. But in terms of the actual you know, fervor of the of the fans and the and, and the crowd, and the, you know, there's always there's been people outside the wherever we've been in these three cities. There's been people outside the the team hotel wanting to get autographs, wanting to get, you know pictures with some of the players yeah. so it's been it's been to be honest, it's, it's been fairly relaxed and the players have been quite happy about it anyone asking for pictures with Ian Doyle uh, no not yet <laughs> not sure I've reached that level of fame I got an island the other week though but uh, no that's none of that over here <laughs> um, Connor we'll just go to you now on this obviously we're, we're touching on how how big the Reds are in the US and I think this all this all feeds into some news we had yesterday from from Forbes um, tell us about this and you know a big a very significant milestone for the Reds yeah, well, they have just been named in the top 50 most valuable sports clubs in all the world. And that includes football clubs, that includes NBA, NFL, all of the biggest teams you can imagine. And every team in that rank now is over $2 billion. And Liverpool actually have a valued at $2.18 billion, which is an absolutely enormous amount considering when by the same valuation in 2010 when FSG took over, mm. um, the club were worth $1.5 billion less than that. So they were worth 0.6 $8.68 billion. <laughs> That'd be quite quite a little amount. But no, it's just a, a massive, massive turnaround under FSG and under the American owners over the last sort of nine years or so. And obviously October is their anniversary of when they took over. Um, in 2010, Liverpool had revenues of £184 million and they were paying out £129 million in wages. And they actually posted losses that year of £49 million. And when you consider that to where they are now, the club has just had an absolutely massive rise off off the pitch, and they actually posted revenues in 2018 of 455 million, which you know, considering that turnover, it's like half a billion half a billion pound turnaround, and mm. it's a wonder just you know quite how they've managed it. You know, when Liverpool in 2010 were 
only off the bottom of the Premier League on points, on goal difference, sorry. Roy Hodgson was there, Hicks and Gillette, who, they who must not be named. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just incredible to see. And obviously, so much success has come of that on the field now. And it's just such a bright future looking ahead with Liverpool. Mm, absolutely. Well, all this evidence from the US and, uh, and there in those figures is, it's, you know, speaks for itself. Doily, before we move on to more recent matters, um, we have to ask you about, about the game the other night, the, the, the Seville game that foul on Larucci yeah. and just the general vibe. Have you ever seen a friendly that played out like that? Well, it was, it was kind of building towards that all the way through the game, wasn't it? I mean, in the first half, uh, you know, he, he got booked early on, should have been sent off really for elbowing Harry Wilson yeah. in the face. But it wasn't just it. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was on the end of uh, a couple of uh, industrial challenges, so we say. But yeah, it was a bit odd. And as for the tackle itself, when the tackle actually happened, we were in the press box and we were like, did that really just happen? Has he really just done that? And then we had a look at the replay and we were like, what on earth is he doing? And of course, the the the, the thinking is that uh, Dejan Lovren had uh, tackled one of the Sevilla players and he was down in back play. It wasn't a foul. The referee just waved play on. And I think some of the Sevilla players were waiting for the ball to be kicked out because the player was still on the floor. And Lucci just went on one of his runs that we've, we've now come to to recognise. And this lad who'd just been on for about two or three minutes just went now nah, having that and just booted him up in the air. Mm. And it's like... Basically, if somebody did that to you in the street, they'd get arrested for assault. <laughs> Obviously, the, the intensity for that as a friendly was absolutely crazy. And do you perhaps think that Liverpool might not have been expecting that much intensity? Or do you perhaps think as well that these clubs that are coming to play Liverpool, it's a massive coup to, you know, scalp the European champions? I mean, you're right on both both ways there, because I think, don't think Liverpool would have been expecting that. And especially as they'd been, they'd only played a game two days uh, two days earlier against Borussia Dortmund. I know it wasn't the same team that started the game, but the way one or two have played, they've been doing training sessions, they've been doing the training sessions on the day of the game. And as I said before, it was absolutely boiling. So you put all of that together and that little severe factor that I just mentioned. So yeah, I do think that Sevilla did take it way too seriously. Liverpool were taken aback. I mean, the second half, it kind of quietened down a little bit. Mm. It's almost like both teams were told, come on, like, pack that, pack that. Certainly Sevilla were told that. But, you know, that happened. I think you're right, Liverpool are going to be a team that's you know, going to be a target for everybody this season. Funny enough, I think it'll be more when they play in the Champions League when they play in the Premier League because I think everybody in the Premier League plays Liverpool, you know, twice a year. They play them for years. They know what to expect. Liverpool have always been this team that... that, that the other teams are desperate to beat. They've always been the prize scout. Now that the champions of Europe, the likes of Sevilla and other kind of what I would call second tier European teams. You know, I'm not talking about like Barcelona, Roma, because they're always big games. But these other teams, they will be actually desperate because then they can just say that we beat the European champions and they'll they'll basically die on that for a long time. And yeah. Connor, such a shame for a young player there, Larucci, who seems to be building up a bit of a head of steam during pre-season and looking to impress. Yeah, certainly. I think he's been probably one of the more standout young performers of the pre-season. You know, he looked great against Tramia and he stood up really well to Jadon Sancho at Borussia Dortmund, who's arguably one of the brightest young talents around in English football at the moment, or England players, that is. Um, and yeah, it's just sort of cut his US tour a little bit short, hasn't it? And it's a shame, really, because... He could have, you know, he was seemingly taking his opportunity to prove to Klopp that he might not need to delve into the transfer market for that left back that he recently talked about. He might need to strengthen, and Larucci might have been one of Klopp's solutions to the problem of finding cover for Andy Robertson. And you know, hopefully, it's not too serious, and it, you know, he can get back on and maybe get some more game time in, you know, Switzerland when Liverpool fly out there later this month. 
Speaking of Klopp there, Doyle, you sat down with the Reds boss, had a very nice chat about transfers and the thinking behind the approach to this summer's window. Some really fascinating Ooh. stuff. How did it go and what did you make of his insights? On that morning where we where we interviewed him, he was lined up to do several interviews and I think we were the last ones that were due to speak to him. And, uh, you know, he could have been all talked out, but he was uh, on good form, very chatty. And in terms of the transfer stuff, you know, we didn't really want to get down to specifics because we knew he wouldn't say anything on that. But having you know, speaking to him and asking him about why things were going the way that they were, it was just interesting. Just to, to you know, he, he was explaining it in very, very you know, de- detail, but it was all very straightforward and it, it seemed to make sense what he was saying. And it was interesting. He, he did say halfway through it, he says, you know, there's some people who won't be happy with that, and yeah. he's not daft. He's not daft. He knows that there are some fans who. Well, more than some fans, certainly from the, the feedback I got on social media when that interview went out, that uh, uh, they feel as though Liverpool shouldn't be what they regard as standing still and should be capitalising on their position as European champions to to bring people in and to sign players. But he did say, look, it's not just about one transfer window. You can't just plan mm. for for you know one summer, one winter, or whatever. It's got to be long term. I mean, I know. Uh, Gorsley wrote a piece the other week saying that Liverpool planned two or three transfer windows ahead. And he was just backing that up, basically saying that we don't just do it for now, we do it for the long term. You can't think short term. And then he, he gave an example of, you know, there was the game against, I think it was Brighton last season where he was down to one centre-back. And he said, well, I could have just gone and signed somebody. But what's the point of that? Because then in a, about two weeks later, everybody will be back. And then we've got the spur player. What are we going to do with him? And another interesting thing is when he was talking about stockpiling players and he said look it's easy for the people outside you know to say right you've got he didn't mention positions but let's just say three left backs you've got three brilliant left backs and you know one's always going to play what are you going to do with the other two you know the other two most of the time they won't be playing the confidence will be gone and he said there's no room for development and I think what he was referring to there was if you've got say your first choice left back and then you, you might have a versatile next player you can allow then the youngsters to come through and then to help to, to get better because how are they going to get better if they don't train mm. alongside these players and they don't have the chance of playing games because the ultimate two examples of that are slightly different because Joe Gomez was bought in but he wasn't playing. So Joe Gomez is one of them and, and the biggest example of all is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Pretty sure if Liverpool back in January, uh, was it 2017, when, when, when Nathaniel Klein got injured and they just went, oh no, right, oh you're missing for that one game and you know, According to these people who think that everything should be a short-term fix, they went out in the January, just bought a player or loaned a player just for that game. But instead, Trent got the opportunity and we, we've seen what's happened since then. Mm. I also think as well, you know, with these people that say the only way that we can actually get better and achieve success is by spending millions. If literally we signed a player as highly rated as Brewster, a teenage striker, and he came in, scored three goals in four games in pre-season, Liverpool fans would be going absolutely mad about how excited they'd be. And in a similar vein, Oxley chamberlain you know, we didn't see him the whole of last season. He'll be coming back and he's a versatile player. He's a very talented player, pretty much hitting his peak years. And, you know, these are players coming into Liverpool squad who we didn't have last season when we won the Champions League. So I just obviously think it all just needs a bit of perspective, doesn't it, really? Mm, absolutely. It, it, I mean, it, it does, yeah. I mean, Jurgen Klopp also mentioned Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. In fact, he did mention the two players that you've just said. Because I think he'd said something, hadn't he, earlier this, uh, this summer where he said, we've got new... New, new signings. New, signing, new players, yeah. new players. It was new Quotation players. He marks. We've got, <laughs> yeah, he said, we've got new players coming back. And of course... You know, some fans just go, oh, no, here we go again. It's like he's going to be like a new signing, et cetera, et cetera. But in the case of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, 
It is because he hasn't played for 14 months. Of in fact, he, had, he was out. Sorry for uh, the best part of a year with the knee injury, and he's only played something like 19 minutes since then. I think we have to be careful with him because he played an hour on Friday against Dortmund. That's the most football he played in in you know since he got the injury. Mm. And then, he, then two days later, he played another 45 minutes against Sevilla. So they're trying to get him back up to shape, but it's going to take a while. But he will be like a new signing. You know, Klopp said, imagine if he wanted to buy him. Back at what Connor just said then. Imagine if he wanted to buy him. How much would that cost? Mm. And then Brewster actually is a new player because he's never played for Liverpool. Yeah. So he's, in fact, he's never played a senior game of football in his life. But we've all seen what he's like in there. In the summer, he's somebody. I mean, the, the the one that thing that clinched it for me is the, the penalty against Dortmund. Where yeah, confidence. Well, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't so much the way that he knocked it in, which was great, but it's also the fact that Jordan Henderson said, "Here, do you fancy it?" You know, they have the confidence that his teammates have the confidence in him, which is almost as much a battle as having confidence in yourself, especially when you're playing in a position like up front where everyone's relying on you to either keep, you know, hold the ball or bring others into play or score the goals. And he's been doing all of that so far. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another chat, Doyle, that's had a really good reaction, lots of people reading it uh, on the Echo website, was the stuff with Jordan Henderson. Um, that was a pretty special interview with him looking back on kind of the inside story of the of winning the Champions League and what happened on the night itself. Talk us through that. It was some, some remarkable stuff that the captain said. Yeah, I mean, Jordan's quite funny. It wasn't just myself. There was a few other newspaper journalists who were in on that interview. But he's, he's normally, I wouldn't say guarded, but he's quite careful about what he says. You know, the, he's the Liverpool captain. He knows that everything that he says is going to be dissected. But when it came to actually some story from behind the scenes at the game, I mean, everybody would have seen the most interesting one was the where he said, like, you know, I've been quite happy having James Milner and Jurgen Klopp up there. At the time. Yeah. We were like, sorry, we, we, had, we had to get into... <laughs> Get him to just clarify, say, you do understand that's a massive sacrifice. And it was like, uh, yeah, yeah, no, he says, but I wanted to do it. But that, that you know, he's, he's still a team player, isn't he? He doesn't want to make it about himself. But again, it looks like that Brewster thing that I just mentioned before. It's the fact that I think Jurgen Klopp just said no. James Milner said no in a slightly different way, uh, as you may have seen from, from the quotes knocking around. <laughs> but, uh, but, but the fact that they just were like, Nah, we're not doing it. You do it. You get up there. You you deserve it. You've earned it. He's the one that's taken the flack for several years, which he did mention actually during the interview. You know, that all these people are praising me as Liverpool captain for lifting his trophy. But you know, a year or two years ago, they're the ones that are criticising me. So while he, while he never really gets down to say like, "Yeah, I'm glad I proved everybody wrong," you can kind of just sense, and quite rightly, he's got this sense of you know satisfaction that. Not only that Liverpool have won the Champions League, the best you know, trophy winning club football, mm. and then he's the captain, the one that led them out, the one that lifted the trophy, the one that was pushed there by you know James Miller and Jurgen Klopp to to go and do it and say this now nah, this is your moment and there's this you know iconic image of him you know, thrust it up into the air and you can you can see that like scream that he's he's given out and it's like it's cathartic more than you know, celebrated. I mentioned that in, in my stuff the other day, so he was quite willing to give that up. That says everything about him, doesn't it? And it also says everything about all his teammates that they were like, no, you're doing it. This mm. is your moment. And now he's there alongside, who is it? Stephen Gerrard, who comes to a little story in a second about him. Uh, Graeme Sears, Phil Thompson, Emlyn Hughes is the only Liverpool captains to actually lift the, the European Cup. Well, I mentioned Stephen Gerrard then. He also revealed that you know, Stephen Gerrard was there at the party afterwards. And he, went, he went up to him and says, can I have a picture with you in the cup? <laughs> Gerrard was like, no, no, well, no, it's your night. Sure, I, I don't want the picture, which I thought was a, a nice touch, though. 
Jordan Henderson then just say like, well, actually, I did really want a picture, so I'll hope to get one at some point. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does this all say to you, Connor, about Liverpool's captain? Because you know we get we get to see what he does on the pitch, and you can you can tell a, he plays a significant part for the Reds actually out on the field. But seems like a great fella off the pitch as well, and plays a big role in the dressing room and beyond. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, it's just such a make of the man, a make of the character. And we obviously all saw those images of him and his dad afterwards and oh, just yeah. the pure emotion. And, you know, it's just a wonderful testament to how much he stood up to over the, the last few years from Liverpool fans as well. And, you know, it has to be said, and obviously he knows that. But I think it says a lot about him, you know, with what Dolly just mentioned, you know, Klopp and Milner saying, you know, you, you go and do that, you go and take that honour yourself. And that, you know, that culture kind of runs throughout the Liverpool team. And, mm. you know, captains like Henderson have led that and they you know provide that sort of environment for everybody to flourish in and everybody to that respect and the attitude where they all just want to work for each other and want the best for each other and you've got to think as well for a lot of the lads it's their first year together and they're winning things as well and it just seems like a really great place to be in you know with Henderson at the forefront of that and Klopp with it as well it's yeah it just seems it just seems fantastic Mm, absolutely Moving on then, Doyle, to another midfielder. I think this is one that some people might have missed out on before the, before the game the other night because we had your story that went up just before the Sevilla game kicked off. Milner um, talking about well, some honest and quite forthright quotes about his contract situation. What's what's the latest there? Well, the latest is there is no latest. That's the interesting <laughs> thing. Is that he Basically, Milner revealed that they, had, you know, they, they approached Liverpool and said, look, fancy a chat about a new contract. And they were like, eh, not at the moment. And that was like, he said last year, whether it actually last year or, or the end, towards the end of last season, I don't know. But um, no, it, it's interesting. It, I think Liverpool obviously had certain priorities when they were selling contracts. Rigi was the main one which they've done. I mean, there's still Matip as well, which they haven't sorted yet. Yeah, true. And, and there was there was one or two others that they needed just to to, 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 to nail down. So stuff will be happening behind the scenes. But it, it's interesting, that Milner thing, because of what Jurgen Klopp said last week where he got asked about him ahead of the game in... Uh, the first game against Dortmund. There'll always be a place for him. Yeah, exactly, yes. Yeah. So it's whether or not that's a little sign to the club site, look, come on, sort this out. He wants mm. to stay. I want him to stay. Let's just get this done. Because you've got to bear in mind he's, what, 33? And he would have been on, he will be on quite a big wage because he got signed for nothing. So there would have been no transfer for the time. So his wages, you have to assume, are fairly decent. And it's whether Liverpool want to go down the road of give a long I say long term but two years mm. on, on that on that wage but it's a bit of a no brainer really because it's almost like James Milner's some kind of freak in terms of his physique because <laughs> he's never ever really been the quickest player. So I know when you get a little bit old it's the sprints that go first rather than your endurance. Um but he just carries on going and carries on going and he's so versatile as a footballer. That's why Klopp loves him. I mean, mm. obviously, there's all the talk about Liverpool looking after, looking for a left back. I don't think it'll be a left back. I think it would be somebody who can play left back or right back or left midfield or sorry, left wing, sorry, or possibly in midfield, defensive midfield. You know, versatile player like, like that who knows he's going to play every week, but it's got a chance because he plays so many positions. Basically, somebody like James Milner, but younger mm. is basically what they're, they're looking at on left left footer. Because if if start the season, Andy Robertson isn't fit. James Miller's playing left back, isn't he? Mm. You know, there's no, there's no doubt about that because Klopp trusts him and he knows he can do a job. So, yeah, the, the, they were interesting comments because normally when you ask players these things, they tend not to say anything. Do they? they just go, no, I don't really want to talk about that or skirt around it. But he was like, bang in there. But he had a, he definitely had a point to make there. Mm. 
Were you, were you surprised to hear it, Connor? Because it does feel like, despite his age, he, he's still going to be a significant presence for the rest of this season, Milner. I mean, the only surprise, is, as Doyle just mentioned, is, you know, you don't really hear players coming out and, and saying it. But I think, mm. you know, if you couple those comments with the Klopp comments, it might just be a little bit of a, as Doyle said, perfectly probably, a little bit of a hurry up to the club to, you know, get this done because... He's a one of a couple with a year left on his contract and there are a couple that they need to sort out. Matip's obviously one of those and you've got to wonder what they're going to do with Lallana. But I think Liverpool have proved they've, you know, they're willing to let players' contracts run down if they think they're going to be of use to Klopp for another year and then let them leave on a free, you know, like the Emery Chans or Sturridge or Moreno this year. But you think with Milner, it's a bit of a no-brainer just to extend it for another year, really, because of just what he's given to the club. Clearly, he's so well-respected and Klopp's spoken about how he wouldn't be able to get by without a player like Milner. He gives certain mm. uh, team talks in the dressing room and it just goes so much more than on the pitch. He's like a role model for the players as well and in similar ways to Henderson is. But yeah, it's a surprise to hear him say it, but you know, I have no doubt Liverpool will get it done. Mm. Fingers crossed we hear some more on that one soon and uh, Milner signing on the dotted line. Doily then, we'll, we'll finish with a little look ahead to the, the final game, the third fixture on the tour uh, against Sporting Lisbon uh, in the early hours. What are you expecting? Do you think Liverpool need a stronger showing and they need to finish on a high uh, go, going back to the UK? Well, I think they need a stronger showing. I mean, there obviously there were, there were reasons for the way both games went on Friday and Sunday against uh, Dortmund and Sevilla. But the football, I mean, in patches it's been okay. They started well against Sevilla then just dropped off massively and they did slightly better in the second half. Against Dortmund, they, again, they, they, they had good periods where they played well. But Defensively, the organisation hasn't been great. But we have to bear in mind that the players that are missing aren't just you know any old players. These are key players. You know, like the, full, the whole of the front three is missing, and the main goalkeeper's missing. Yeah. And then through injury, you've got Cater and Shakira, who'd be two of the players that you would have imagined with those other players missing would have been quite happy, you know good. They'd have been happy to get the opportunity for a few more minutes and to prove their worth. So the players who aren't there, it, it, it is making a difference. And I mean. We always say we don't want to read too much into these, these pre-season games, but if Liverpool don't start do, you know, picking up better performances to start with, but then they probably need one or two good results because they've got sport in Lisbon and then they've got Napoli and then they've got Leon. So it's all more or less Champions League standard teams that they're yeah. playing against here. And then they've got Manchester City in the, uh, in the Community Shield and that's in less than two weeks now. So if the season's going to be upon us, sooner than we think. And one, one thing interesting that Klopp said to quite a few people separately is he was talking generally about the fact that players just don't get enough of a break at mm. the moment. You know, the way that, you know, let's face it, the, the Africa Cup of Nations only finished last Friday. Um, what was it? Cup of America was the week before that. So, no, it's, it's like nearly August. And, you know, Sadio Mane is only going to get two and a half weeks for a break this year, which is ridiculous, really. I mean, I know, I know it's not quite like the old days where they get three months off and then come back and they'd have to spend three weeks running up and down dunes and all that kind of stuff because they were so like oh, overweight. And that doesn't happen anymore. Certainly not at the top level because they they don't get much of a break anymore. They don't have that opportunity to get out of shape. So in that sense, it's good because they're fit. But then they can just be tired. You know, not just physically but emotionally. Certainly Liverpool's players. I mean, Jordan Henderson in in the interview said. They went off after the Champions League win and they played for England, didn't they, in the uh, UEFA Nations League. Yeah. Shakiri had said this from his perspective playing for Switzerland, but Henderson's like, it was an absolute nightmare, he says, because we were just so tired. We couldn't come to terms with what we'd done, you know, absolutely drained. 
And you can probably see that in the performances. And he says it's taken a lot of time, uh, sorry, a long time to come to terms with what's happened in terms of them actually winning it. Everything around it that 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 that's come from that. So, so yeah, there is a worry that perhaps Liverpool might be undercooked, but I don't think it's just them. It's you know you could say the same thing for Manchester City, for Manchester United, or whoever. They're all on these long trips over in China and Australia. Yeah, to be and they fair, City got beaten by places. Wolves, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. So mm. there are. It isn't just Liverpool. We, we can sometimes just get wrapped up in in you know the team that we cover all the team that we support there are other teams out there and that's what you're going to be playing against ultimately mm-hmm. so but you can only be really concerned about what's going on with Liverpool and while this you know the summer started well with the games against you know Bradford and, uh, and Tramia but you know they were league one and league two uh, teams yeah so Connor as Doyle said whilst the tour's not been great in terms of bare results it does feel like Klopp will have learned a hell of a lot about his squad over the last week or so yeah, of course. I think Klopp said before this that he always learns more in pre-season from defeats than he does in victories. I think it's in terms more of the performances that he's going to be looking for. Obviously, as we approach the start of the season, you know, it's a couple of weeks till the charity shield, as Jordy just said, we'll start to see more of the a more recognisable starting eleven coming in and, mm. and playing together and getting some more minutes together under their belts, which will be important. Um, you know, it'll be good to sign off with a win against Sporting and they haven't won a game of pre-season yet and they look a little bit shaky defensively so we say they've got that Bruno Fernandes has obviously been linked with a host of clubs all summer who will be a threat but I think it definitely presents an opportunity and I think you know going forward Liverpool can probably take some heart from getting a couple of goals in tonight and yeah and hopefully <laughs> we see that continue into, into the charity shield and into the season indeed fingers crossed Doily then when uh, when are you flying back are you, are you with us on these shores again soon uh, well I'm flying back on Thursday night which uh, given the the, the arduous nature of my journey here I'm, uh, I've got no guarantees that I'll actually be landing on Friday morning back at Manchester so we'll have to wait and see and of course then he's up to Scotland the game against Napoli and Murrayfield so it's all go still all go but yeah I mean Boston was great but you know, I'd never been to New York before so we've been here for, for, for two nights well I, I had a night last week which was unscheduled uh, but the weather weather's been interesting it's just like been raining all the time so it's it's like being back at home, except it's not, because I believe it's really sunny over there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been it's, warm. It's yeah, lovely. exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, we, so yeah, yeah, I'm not complaining about the rain too much, given how hot it was in Boston, which was a bit ridiculous. But, you know, it's it's all been it's all been good, yeah, but uh, looking forward to a nice cup of tea when it gets home. Excellent, excellent. Well, <laughs> hope you avoid another planes, trains and automobiles trip. Um, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, right. Well, we will be back, hopefully with Doily, uh, all, all in one piece, back back in the UK with another Blood Red later in the week where we'll have a, a fulsome look back on the US tour, obviously including the final game. And we will look ahead, as Doily mentioned, to the weekend's game against Napoli up in Scotland. So bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.